Welcome to the second edition of Who's Better Baseball. Got my first guest today, Jack McMullen. I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein, the managing editor at Just Baseball. We are diving deep into the National League East. It's a conversation I obviously could not wait to have because it's the second episode. Who's better, the Mets or the Braves going into this season? Jack is here to keep me in check uh, because obviously the Mets are better, right? So I'm really just here to babysit and I'm here to make sure you don't, I I'm almost wrangling you in, right? If you're the president of the United States, I'm the press secretary where I'm just going to walk back anything egregious that you say uh, and make it PC. So uh, that's what I'm here to do. I'm like your vetting process. That's exactly right. I knew I couldn't do this by myself because yes, I got clear bias. Look at the background behind me, host the locked on Mets. Obviously that's where I lean, but this morning and last night, I was really going through the exercise of writing out the article that'll be live at JustBaseball.com on Friday, and I think that these two teams are as even as they really can be as we dive in. And the way I've been doing this is I start by breaking down the first five of each starting lineup. So you look at these two squads. You got, for the Mets, Brandon Nimmo, Starling Marte, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil. For the Braves, Ronald Cunha Jr., Michael Harris II., Austin Riley, Matt Olson, and now Sean Murphy. Yeah, I, I wrote in the article, you got seven all-stars. You have the two best center fielders based on F4 in the National League last year and a gold glove catcher comprising this 10. It is yeah. loaded as can be. I will start with my Mets. Up the middle in baseball, I don't know how much better it gets than Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor, and Brandon Nemo. Let me stop you right there. It doesn't get better. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean, last year they combined for an F4 over 18, the three of them. So I I think that when you have that and then you add in Pete Alonso at first base, led the league in RBIs, the 40 home runs, all that good stuff. And then you have Starling Marte. This Mets five is, like, go around baseball. The floor of this five is so freaking high. Like, I just can't see them having a bad year with those five guys. I think that that is really the strength. But then if you look at the Braves side, you look at Acuna's upside having a better season. You look at Michael Harris for a, for a full year. Matt Olson being better, adding Sean Murphy. It's pretty damn close. So I, I want your kind of gut reaction. Which five do you think is better? Um, I mean, I I would side with the Mets just because you know exactly what you're getting from the New York Mets. Like, here's the thing about Atlanta's big five that we're talking about. Acuna, while he is mercurial, he is coming off an ACL tear and coming off a a year where his ground ball rate was in the high 50%, right? So we have seen flaws exposed early in the career of a newly turned 25-year-old in Acuna. Um, We're looking at a Michael Harris who just finished up his rookie season. Yes, he was the rookie of the year. Yes, he looks like one of the best center fielders in all of baseball, but... The sophomore slump is a real thing. The league adjusts. I think the league started to adjust at the end of this past year. Um, He obviously countered that and was really good. But who knows what happens to Michael Harris in year two? I think he's going to be good, but you have no idea. Austin Riley, I do think is the best hitter that we've talked about. Like that, that guy, all he knows is hitting the ball as hard as possible to every single part of the field. Um, Matt Olson has shown that he is a menacing, feared hitter, but he has also shown that his approach can get away from him at times. He walks a lot, but 
There are times where he might extend the zone upwards and he might get caught in a bit of a slump here. And then Sean Murphy, we've seen him hit in the low 200s, right? So it's all that volatility with Atlanta. And then you look at the Mets side. Pete Alonso is a guaranteed 30 and 100 driven in. Francisco Lindor, I know he had what, that down 2021 and everybody was jumping ship on Lindor. This guy has consistently been a 5-6-4 player. Jeff McNeil is always, always going to put bat on ball. He won't always contend for a batting title like he did in 2022, but he's always going to flirt with 300 because that's Jeff McNeil's game. Brandon Nimmo, when he's on the field, he's a five-win player. The problem is staying on the field. So I like the consistency of what goes on at the top for the Mets as opposed to the volatility as to what goes on at the top for the Braves. Yeah, and I think that's where I leaned as well. But I think the volatility for the Braves is where I basically kind of got back to their ceilings higher, the Mets' floor is higher. And I, I one of the things that jumped out to me is just that that Acuna X factor because we look at what his slug percentage was prior to the ACL going down in 2021. Do you know how high his slug was that year? Was he he was over 600, right? Three it was 596, right okay. at 600. Yeah. And then this past year, 413. So it was almost a 200 point dip in slug. If he gets the ball back in the air again, if he looks like the guy that we saw before, and you add that into the mix with everything they have, it takes them to another dimension. Then I, I think that Matt Olson could have a much better season in year two. You know, he's hit 34 bombs in a down year. So I think that if everything clicks for that five for the Braves, they can be better. But like you said, I mean, there's so many less questions I have about this Mets team. It's really, you know, how many games you're going to get from Marte and Nemo, I think is maybe the biggest question because I think both of them bring some injury risk. Um, yeah, 100%. That's the question there. Like, when are they going to be on the field? It's not what do they look like when they're on yeah. the field, which is the Braves question. 100%. And when you're, when you're trying to grade out teams, it, we can't always just lean on, well, man, the Mets' health might not be that. That's not really something that we no. can factor in or we're doing some preseason arguments. So then we get into the bottom five, or the bottom four, excuse me, um, as well as the bench for these teams. So the Braves, you could say Ozzie Albies is the best player from the bottom of these lineups, even though I'm not the biggest Ozzie Albies fan. He's the only one I look at that I'd say, oh, he might be an all-star this year. But then you yep. get to Eddie Rosario last year, 62 WRC+. plus. He lost them a game with F4, minus 1.1. You look at Marcelo Zuna being in the mix. Bad year last year, bad person. We don't even know why he's still <laughs> rostered, but here we are. Vaughn Grisham is kind of that, that interesting piece for the Braves. You know, you look at the numbers last season, 291 average, 353 on base, 440 slugging in his first 150 plate appearances, 121 WRC+. plus. I, I'm not too concerned about the offense, but I, I was comparing him to Bryson Stott in the last episode, and I said, you know, Bryson Stott comes into this year getting to play second base, way less pressured, batting eighth. And I just think he is in a great position to have a better season than Grisham, where Grisham comes in now and go ahead, replace the, the six F4 shortstop, the one a gold glove. You know, is Grisham going to be able to just hit the ground running and the Braves can not skip a beat losing Swanson? If you, if you don't think about it, you just say yes, because they're the Atlanta Braves. And Ron Washington is on the coaching staff, right? The, the infield whisperer, the middle infield whisperer. Um, if you think about it, 
It's a 22-year-old with 57 days of Major League Service time. You're asking to fill the shoes of a six-win player and a franchise cornerstone for the last couple of years. Um, This is a different scenario than the one that Matt Olson stepped into. Matt Olson stepped into filling the shoes of a franchise cornerstone on the heels of 39 home runs in one of the hardest ballpark to put home runs out of. Matt Olson, I think over the course of the contracts, and I've said this several times on the Just Baseball show, is a better bet than Freddie Freeman. I like that contract more than I like the Freeman contract. Um, If I was the Braves and I had the financial means to lock up Dansby Swanson for the same number that the Cubs locked up Dansby Swanson, I would have done it because you very much so enjoy what Vaughn Grissom gave you in 57 days of his major league career so far. But Dansby Swanson's been around for six years and he's been helping you out. And he's a former number one overall pick. Vaughn Grissom is a former 11th round pick. Um, that That's my big thing. Like, I wish they went with the sure thing with where the window is for them right now. But if we've learned anything about the Braves, it's that the window may never close. So if they feel like they've got a guy to do it, much like what Houston felt they had with Jeremy Pena, then you know what? So be it. If if Atlanta sees Jeremy Pena in Vaughn Grissom, we're in for a wild ride. Yeah, no, and we I think that they get that benefit of the doubt. That's why no one's really talking about Swanson as this loss. Everyone's just like, oh, all the Braves did is they added Sean Murphy. Like, yes, they added Sean Murphy and that they are are losing Swanson. I am curious. I know you know better than me. From my memory, Grisham barely even got any time in double A, right? Wasn't he almost going from high A to the bigs last year? How much time, like how much minor league experience does Grisham even have at the upper levels? He has next to none. Vaughn Grissom, as I pull it up right now, um, I mean, he was what 11th round in 2019 at a high school. So this is a guy that literally just turned 22 years old on January 5th. Um, in minor league baseball, he's got 227 games under his belt. So he played 87 games, um, 75 of which in low A in 2021, finished with 12 games in high A in 2021. He was in rookie ball 19 after he was drafted. 22... Played 74 games in high A, 22 games in double, 41 games in the major league. So more I mean, MLB experience than upper level minor league experience. It's Crazy. it's fast tracked, dude. Yeah. It's double the major league experience compared to double and triple A experience. And he has zero triple A experience. So this guy was, you know, it, it, it's crazy because you talk about, you know, golden ticket guys, um, like first rounders that don't necessarily need to succeed at every level. 11th round pick at a high school in 2019. They're just like, oh, you're better than everybody else here? Go to the next one. Oh, you're better than everybody else here? Go to the next one. And they needed him to fill a role, and they had the confidence to do it. So, I mean, we'll see if they're just riding a really hot hand. Um, I don't think they're riding a really hot hand. I think that they know what they have here. Uh, But the thing is, it's just so much more of a wild card than anything the Mets present. Absolutely. And to kind of close the book on what else the Braves have to to round out this roster, Travis Darno, I think, will get a good amount of time at DH. Great. I mean, that tandem of catchers, unless you're looking at Toronto, I don't think there's any better in baseball right now with Murphy and Darno. But yeah. then we go to the bench. Orlando Arcia, not bad, but then Sam Hilliard, uh, Jordan Luplow. I, I, there's just not a ton here. Then you compare it to the Mets side. Daniel Vogelback was great last year with the Mets, 144 WRC plus after the trade. You have what I call just really high floor starters in Mark Hanna and Eduardo Escobar. They're two win players, and there's nothing wrong with that. Canna last year got on base at a 367 clip. 
Escobar found a way to basically get to his career averages, hit 20 home runs, unbelievable September to get there. He was dreadful for a lot of the year, and I think Brett Beatty ultimately takes his job at some point in the not-too-distant future. But for now, for just looking at what's set to make the opening day roster, that is fine. And then at catcher, they got Omar Nervias to replace James McCann. It's a more natural platoon fit with Tomas Nito. Uh, and I don't know if they're going to get much offensively from that group, but you also have Nervaez as a Venezuelan catcher mentoring Francisco Alvarez. And that's yeah. the thing that gets me with this Mets team. Can you talk about for one kind of the, the just general depth that they have with veterans like Tommy fan, Darren Ruff and all that, but what could be coming with Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez? I think Nervaez was very much, let's get a guy in here. That's going to put his arm around our young catcher starting in spring training and we want Alvarez up as soon as possible. You want to leave Vientos out of this conversation too? I mean, Vientos <laughs> like doesn't necessarily have a, a mentor on this team, but I think that's a great point that you bring up, and you're only bringing that up because you are so well ingrained in the team, a la Locked On Mets, right? Like that's what you see. Um, I think the outside perspective, the national fan base is going to say, oh, well, why did you go for Narvaez when you could have, you know, like upgraded or just slap Alvarez in right now? Francisco Alvarez might not be ready, folks. I mean, like, he's got some swing and miss in his game, right? He he was struggling a good bit in Syracuse to end the 2022 season. He got up for a brief cameo, and he struggled at the major league level. So I love Narvaez, knowing the narrative around Omar Narvaez, who started his career with the White Sox and went to the Brewers. Um, he has almost been an on-field coach of sorts. What you lose in James McCann... Like all the pros of James McCann are all the pros of Omar Narvaez. Oh, guy could be a manager right now, right? Yeah. That that's the narrative around McCann. Now, unfortunately, James McCann can't hit. Um, Narvaez can hit a little bit. I like the upgrade offensively because you do need a starting catcher when Francisco Alvarez is not ready. Um, I love Omar Narvaez being the guy here. Um, I think Nito will get phased out quickly by Francisco Alvarez. I think Alvarez is due for a great start in triple. And I think that that pair of Venezuelan backstops is going to be awesome. Um, and I also think Eduardo Escobar has been around the block. He's 34 years old. He can help Brett Beatty out massively. Um, so I love this tutelage that's going on right now in the, in the Mets organization. And while you would prefer better offensive options than Omar Narvaez and Eduardo Escobar. They probably fit the dynamic of the clubhouse better than any other free agent or trade candidate would. Absolutely. And then you look at where they could be come July. If Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez are both great, suddenly Eduardo Escobar is, you know, on your bench, you know, maybe right. the other half of a platoon with, with Vogel back at DH, you know, Narvaez becomes a backup catcher. I mean, this team can get so much better with those prospects. And like you said, we should not just leave Mark Vantos off. I did mention him in the article as someone that could replace Darren Ruff if Darren Ruff comes into camp and is awful again or starts the season bad. You know, Mark Vientos, you look at uh, you know, Brody Van Wagen and his agent now, which I did not know that Brody represented Vientos, tweeted out uh, a, a comparison of Pete Alonzo and Mark Vientos' stats in the minor leagues. Mm, and don't do that. Yeah, Don't do that. It showed some bias, obviously, massive bias. Hey, I got a guy that's as good as Pete. But you do look at the numbers, the slug, and a lot of the different things. And like Vientos, there's no doubt about his power. There is no doubt that if any big league team can get to the point where they give this guy plate appearances, 
He's going to hit home runs. I just don't know if he finds that spot in the Mets, but I also think that he's a guy that very well could be traded this deadline. Yeah, I mean, he's surplus at this point. So it's either it's either using him when somebody else underwhelms. I, I think Ruff is a great one to ID, right? Like he is Darren Ruff. He's almost identical to Darren Ruff right now, probably with um, more juice, less reliability, but a ton more control. And you only have to pay him $720,000. So um, only $720,000. You want seven twenty? Um, I'd take seven twenty. Yeah, yeah, I'd take seven twenty too. I think somebody that that shouldn't be slept on here in this quote unquote bottom four is Canna. I I love the way Mark Canna plays baseball, and I love what he offers the New York Mets because this guy is a steady veteran presence. There are not many guys like Mark Canna around Major League Baseball, and every good team has a Mark Canna. Now, not every good team has a Tommy Pham. Uh, I have no idea what his fantasy football setup is this year, but um, I have no, like Tommy Pham is one of those guys that could hit 270. Yeah. He could also hit 205. <laughs> and I've got yeah. no idea which one's coming. Yeah. I think with Tommy Pham, it was, you kind of, because of the Correa situation, they, they maybe missed out on some bats that they could have grabbed. And so you're like, all right, well, we need some power and, and maybe he provides it. Or if not, he could be DFA mid season. And, and when you're Steve Cohen, you could sign a guy to whatever he got six, $7 million and you might DFA him and it doesn't matter. So yeah. I, I think that was the idea there. And it just kind of close out what else they have. Like look at the Braves bench and tell me that Louis Guillaume and Danny Mendick would not be better players than almost anyone that they have. Like, that's the tail end of what the Mets have in their roster. And that's why I think when it comes to the position players, the Mets are just a much deeper team here. Yeah, I think so. I like Danny Mendick. Um, a lot of people don't know who Danny Mendick is because he was always the one filling in for Leori Garcia um, or Tim Anderson whenever he would go down with the White Sox. But having watched way more Danny Mendick than I would have ever hoped to in my life, um, I do enjoy the services of Danny Mendick. And I think that that is a, a very, very reliable third middle infielder yeah and you already had one in Guillaume so now it's it's just that extra debt that they can put in Syracuse that they both have options even so let, let's move over to the rotation now we got from the Mets side Max Scherzer Justin Verlander Kodai Senga Jose Quintana Carlos Carrasco and their depth arms David Peterson Tyler McGill you go to the Braves Max Freed Kyle Wright Charlie Morton Spencer Strider uh, Mike Soroka, Ian Anderson, Bryce Elder. Tough to compare the two. Uh, I know where I lean. I want to hear your take on this one. Way to bury the lead 20 minutes in. This is the conversation, right? This is the separator between the Braves and the Mets. And I don't think there's separation here because yeah. you, you look at the front three in each of these rotations. I'm taking the Mets 10 days out of 10. Verlander and Scherzer are first ballot Hall of Famers that you're running out and somehow they've recaptured this prime form that they both had like at the end of their Detroit days. Um, Verlander's coming off of a Cy Young. Scherzer is a Cy Young candidate every single year at the age of 38. Um, and then Kodai Senga, he's a rookie. What are you getting from a rookie? Don't know. But what you do know is that this guy has been lighting it up at driveline and has been acing every interview and was amazing in Japan. Like this guy, I think if you're not going to put your money on Corbin Carroll to win NL rookie of the year, it should be going on Sanga 
because he's going to come and there's a chance he's Tanaka right away. Like you remember how good Masahiro Tanaka was as soon as he came over. Darvish took a little bit of time, but Tanaka was that guy that was an established arm comes over and kills. There's a chance that Senga is that. Um, I'll take that front three. I love Quintana. Him as a four is not better than Atlanta's four. That's the thing. So you've got a Freed, a Kyle Wright, and a Strider up top in in Atlanta's rotation. I do think the Mets rotation is better there. But when you look at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, um, Soroka, Morton, Elder, Anderson, Schuster. There are so many guys that you can be going to there. Um, and I think that Atlanta, you're never getting a bad start from the Atlanta Braves. And I'm I'm worried about the possibility of a bad start if Quintana's not perfect like he was last year or if Carrasco isn't perfect. Yeah, well, see, this is where the Mets bias absolutely comes into play, and this is why you're here. Uh, you know, the, the Kodai Senga element, I, I think, is something where, for one, one of the things I've mentioned on my show is, I think he's going to hit the ground running because the league is going to have no idea what to do with him. And so I think like you might see some incredible stuff in April and then maybe in May and June, the league adjusts and he has to make his adjustments back. But David Peterson's numbers last year, like his slider had a whiff percentage of 47%. Yeah. I look at, I think David Peterson for my money, I would not be surprised that David Peterson could be a better starting pitcher if given the opportunity than both Carrasco and Quintana. I'm that high on David Peterson. Tyler McGill, I know that was that was a big statement I just dropped on you. That man. was a big statement. Look, look more into David Peterson. He I mean, he's is, a big guy, 6'6", 240. He throws like a big guy, too. I enjoy watching Peters. But yeah. Quintana's done it for so long. I know Quintana's done it for so long, and 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 – don't get me wrong. Those guys are going to be in the rotation of healthy Peterson's not, but from what, like there was times last year, he struck out more than 10 batters per nine last year. I just think David Peterson, you know, has nastier stuff than those guys. And I think he's just on the precipice of putting it all together. And in some ways he's kind of hurt by the fact that he doesn't get that opportunity. Then again, if you're the sixth starter, you're still probably going to make 15 stars pretty easily. McGill last year, his numbers look awful. Look at what he did in April, and then it was injury, injury, injury throughout the rest of the year. So I kind of throw out the – not to say he's the April guy, but I think who he was in 2021, he can replicate that that's a good starter. But what, And even yeah. then, in 2022, Tyler McGill threw slider 21% of the time. He kind of abandoned the slider when he got hurt, right? He was like yeah. pretty much fastball or bust when, yeah. when he was dealing with these injuries. He was 60% fastball last yeah. year. That's a crazy high clip. 21% slider – Opponents hit 083 against his slider. Yeah. Like if you throw that pitch more, it's going to be good. So I, I, I have confidence in Tyler McGill. Yeah, I so I, I think you know where it falls off for the Mets is where you get beyond seven, where you get to the Jose Budos, Elizar Hernandez, and and that's where I think we could give the Braves the edge because again, like you said, the separation up top just isn't that great, and the Braves just have more depth. Yeah. So let's let's close this out with the bullpens. It's hard for me to even dive too deep in this. I, I, in the article, I literally wrote the Braves. You just give the benefit of the doubt that they're going to put together a better bullpen because their bullpen's always awesome. But what the Mets did this offseason, I think where they improved the most, even with the Kodai Sanga addition, I think it's the bullpen to bring in David Robertson and Brooks Raley to bring back Edwin Diaz and Adam Adovino. 
Uh, I really like that four for the Mets, and I think it's going to be more than good enough to keep them, you know, atop this division next to the Braves there. On the Braves side, though, you got Iglesias, you got AJ Menter, you got Joe Jimenez, you got Colin McHugh, you got Lucas Lucky, and I mean, you can you can name probably five more arms that they might have this year, right, coming into their bullpen. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Lee is really good. Kirby Yates, uh, you know, 36 years old, but he was pretty good once upon a time. So you have no idea if they're going to bounce back. I think the Matzik loss here to Tommy John surgery yeah. really hurts. If they had Tyler Matzik, um, I mean, th- this bullpen is best in baseball, I think. They didn't need Kenley Jansen back because Rysel Iglesias is one of the better closers in baseball. It was time for Rysel to just be the closer for the Atlanta Braves. I thought that was a perfect deadline deal from Alex Anthopoulos yeah. last year. They bought the dip and it worked. He had a sub one ERA in Atlanta. Um, I wish they took a flyer on another over-the-hill closer. I wish they took a flyer on David Robertson before the Mets did it. I wish they took a flyer on Craig Kimbrell and gave him $10 million. I think that type of arm would have been great for them. But they did attack the trade market. Lucas Litke was a guy that was phased out in New York. We know that he can excel in low-leverage situations, and here he is going to try and do that. Um, Joe Jimenez, arguably been better than Gregory Soto (laughs) and and Soto is a two-time all-star and now he's a Philadelphia Philly. So I'm sure you talked about Soto on this last episode. Um, I, I I do think that this is one of the better bullpens in baseball, but it's not over the top. And I think that the Braves and the Mets are almost a very similar conversation because while there may be a teensy bit more depth in Atlanta's bullpen, you got the best reliever on the planet right now with the trumpets and shit and the first $100 million closer in major league history in Edwin Diaz. And it, it's really hard to argue with that. Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to see them to not only bring him back, bring him back out of, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. Uh, and then, yeah, just, I, I like that they have Robertson now because I think even though out is their second best reliever, I think Robertson's the second closer where you can now give Diaz some time where, you know, if he goes out and gets two innings against the Braves and then you have a close the next day against the Marlins, you can go to David Roberts and not have to worry about it. So I, I do like where the Mets are. And I think throughout this conversation, we've basically felt bullpen similar, rotation similar. Then we got to the position players. We thought the Mets had an edge. Am I right to say that the Mets are better than the Braves, Jack? Oh, no. oh yeah. Yeah. When your owner commits to $100 million in luxury tax penalties, you better be better than anybody else. And and I think that they are. That read that Passon wrote on ESPN in his one-on-one with Steve Cohen was perfect. And, and it summed up everything that I felt this past offseason, where I think the old guard of baseball or even fans of teams in – lower markets on a lower budget could be up in arms and be pissed about what Steve Cohen's doing. Here's the thing. If I gave you the net worth that Steve Cohen had and you're a lifelong Tampa Bay Rays fan, the hell are you going to do? You're, you're willing to do it to watch several Bray or to watch several Rays teams compete for world series championships Steve Cohen is a Mets fan that just happens to be really, 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 really rich. And I love what he's doing here. They paid for it. Um, Who knows if it's going to work, 
but going into the 2023 season, the New York Mets are better than the Atlanta Braves. That's a massive win for me. I, I, mission accomplished. I brought you on. I, I got you on my side. And the Mets are better than the Braves, at least now on February 9th, before any real baseball has been played. I love it. Man, uh, Bryce Montez de Oca. That's my guy that I'm stamping here. $720,000 okay. worth of Bryce Montez de Oca. Give, given the league minimum, given the pre-R minimum, this guy's going to be 102 with some nasty breaking stuff, and everybody's going to be like, you you paid all this money for David Robertson and Adam Adovino when you had this guy too. I mean, yeah, he's he, he's got to cut the walks down a little bit, but uh, if if he's able to do that and harness the stuff, I mean, yeah, he's, he's nasty, and we did see him briefly, briefly last year, so uh, he's on the forty, and yeah, I think we'll we'll see some Deoka for sure this season, and, and I'm glad that that's where we're ending. Uh, that's that's definitely of of all the names on these teams, Rice Montes Deoka is absolutely the last name that should be uttered. That's what you knew when you were getting me on. We were going to end with something weird. All right. Well, this was our second edition of Who's Better Baseball. We'll be back next week. Three more episodes, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Going to be a lot of good stuff moving forward. Make sure you also check out all the written content at JustBaseball.com that will be aligning with what we're doing over here at Who's Better Baseball.